Hello, I'm Stuart Craner, and this is a Thinkers 50 podcast from the European Business Forum in Denmark with Thinkers 50 Europe. One of the speakers at the European Business Forum was Mark Esposito, who wowed the crowd with insights from his new book, Understanding How the Future Unfolds. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for having me here. So the future, it's, it's unknowable, isn't it? It is. In fact, uh, all uh, attempts to try to uh, forecast the future haven't been very successful. I think Nostradamus is the only one that has a proven record or something. But <laughs> in this case, I think it was taken an entirely different angle. It was, it was hard to decipher in the first place. But seriously, uh, yes, all main business thinkers, they try sometimes to think about the future, but it's very difficult. I can see now why why it's difficult. So how, how does your... How does your book provide a, a solution or a response to that? So I was with my co-author Terence trapped with the same problem. How can we look how the future looks like? And then we start to understand that the future, more than a reflection on the past, is actually a reflection of what we do now. It's much more of a direct relationship with the present than the past. And so we start to play with the idea that we do map casting, we do forecasting, but there was no term for what we call present casting. So we coin it. We said, can we present cast our the trends right now, and we can we determine where these trends are going to take us? So under, understanding the present more fully is the key to the future. Yes, because some of the trends that we have discovered during our research uh, really define trajectories that will happen one way or the other. So we call in safe assumption or safe plots uh, because they tend to be less sensitive to the volatility that happens at the micro level. There tends to be things like demographics, for example, that we know we're aging, so we consider that in the next few years we will inexorably become older. But you would have thought that companies, one thing you could rely on is that they understand the present. Uh, we could say they do understand the present, but their presence is very urgent and it's very, it's very reactive. They tend to look at the present always like a rat race in some cases. Uh, what we wanted to do when we interview about 80 executive in the book, we really asked them, have you considered how these trends will shape the nature of your future tomorrow? And have you considered your current strategy reflecting the needs you will have in the future? And that was the, the underlying conversation we had with most of them. And are CEOs, people in the C-suite, really interested in the future, or are they just so bogged down in the present? Believe it or not, we found an impressive response. It looks like they were just waiting for a conversation like the one we were having to be placed. Uh, they welcome us. They spend more time than one, the time that was allocated by their secretaries. And they told a story that became very anecdotal. And the book is, is actually rich of stories. They really help us understand that these five mega trends emerge from their understanding of the present and the future more than our understanding from, let's say, more an academic perspective. So it's really a, a book that is emerging from practice rather than, than academic research. And the five mega trends? So we call them drive because it's easy to remember. And there is this, this uh, innate or inherent sense of going forward. The joke we're always making is imagine if we had call it reverse, you know. But so <laughs> thinking about the future and call it drive, it kind of helps. Uh, so D stands for demographic and social changes. R stands for resource scarcity. I stands for inequalities. V stands for volatility and scale complexity. And E stands for enterprising dynamics. Uh, so it's really more of a coin terms for us to have a title uh, with a framework that we can use. But the idea was inspired by truly, uh, you know, tapping on the understanding of these executives. And what surprised you in the research? It surprised me that, for example, financial players like the London Stock Exchange was primarily interested about the inequalities. 
I would have never imagined, um, just, just for, for our listener, the CEO of the London Stock Exchange, Xavier Rollet, wrote the foreword for us. So it was an honor for us that he would actually endorse our work. And we did one article together on his LinkedIn profile, where he's an influencer. Um, and Xavier was extremely interested about how inequality will change the nature of markets in the future. Um, we, we found the CEO to be much more sensitive to these trends, much more entrenched in the social drivers, rather than just busy with the financial performance. We find them much more humanized uh, than what we thought, and really uh, generally preoccupied about the future. Where does the research go next? So we are now developing deeper the V of the book, which is where we think we have a space, both in the market, but also in, in terms of understanding where industry want to move, the volatility part, how artificial intelligence is changing the processes uh, of production. Uh, we are getting interested in uh, blockchain and how blockchain is ra raising at the pace in which it wants to be a challenger to the access to money through banks becoming an alternative. We're interested in uh, the type of robotics that we discovered here in Odense during the forum uh, where this region is, is pioneering. So we're interested in that side of the story that is really uh, challenging the way productivity, uh, division of labor, uh, jobs are uh, related. So and we try to do this both in academic terms, in practical terms, and also with the international conveners. So we're working with the World Economic Forum specifically on the future of work. And your, your work's pretty wide, wide ranging because you talk about the circular economy elsewhere as well. Yes. So how do you explain what you, what, what's the, the golden thread that links all your work, do you think? So I would say they become topics that I can present as standalone, but the truth is that they emerge from this uh, eclectic research where when looking for some, some hinklings of truth, you really go around and you try to span your boundaries. Uh, the circular economy happened to be actually a, a gift from the resource scarcity work. So when we were looking at resource scarcity in the R of the drive, we realized that not only we are consuming more resources than what we do, but our industrial system is really designed to waste more than what we should. And that's what got us into the circular economy. So it became more of an academic track that is also bringing me closer to uh, the consulting with firms and also what government policy does. But for me, they're all part of the same understanding how these trends are shifting and shaping the landscape for the future. How do you split your time? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not easy because I think I'm driven and I'm passionate about everything I do. And like many of the thinkers that we have at the conference, uh, they have they share the same passion. We, we love to do what we do. Um, I spend quite some time with my family. I try to organize some blackout time where I'm basically with my family. And that's also my writing time. So whenever my, my daughter is uh, asleep or when the family is quiet, uh, I write. So I use the downtime to write. And the daytime is for me to be 100% with them. Um, and when I'm traveling, I'm 100% committing to what I do. Um, I still do a bit of teaching, probably a bit more than what I like to do. But that's, that's what really uh, defined me in the first place. Um, and I attend a lot of different events. This year has been exceptional for book presentation, book events, and on from Denmark to Jordan to the World Economic Forum, it's going to be my next uh, uh, tour. So it's it's challenging, but if you have some discipline and you prioritize what matters in your life, in my case, family and work, uh, then I think you find a way forward. 
and what gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what excites you? I really like to think that there is a legacy that is going to be created out of the work we're currently doing. I know there is a side of the story that carries my name and that's exciting is, is uh, supporting the, the self-interest. Uh, and, you know, we're not denying the fact that it's nice to be recognized for the work we do. Uh, but if I start looking at either of my students or the people I meet or the executive I'm working with that send me an email and a major, a major success has happened, that, that really makes me happy. I can give you one quick example. I received an email uh, two weeks ago from a student of mine at Harvard who was from uh, the Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And uh, he said to me that after the conversation we had in class, he, was, uh, he went deeper into the 3D printing and he became the first manufacturer in the region with the 3D printer. And he said, thank you, because without the class, it would have never happen. So this type of emails, they justify why I do what I do. And that really motivates me to go forward. Mark, thank you very much. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.